Hi, it's Matt. The recording you're about to hear has some really bad audio on my part. I don't know what happened. After years of podcasting, I goofed somewhere when trying to get this thing recorded. And I don't know, I think maybe I was talking into my laptop's microphone and not my actual USB microphone. And therefore, I sound really tinny and far away and like garbage. Steve and Will, meanwhile, sound great. It's just me. I sound really bad. Uh, this was a regular episode of Hooplecast covering one of our HBO pilots, or if this was Deadwood-related. If this had happened back when we were covering Deadwood, I would have, I swear to God, I would have re-recorded all my lines. <laughs> I would have done that. Uh, but not for this. I'm not doing it for this. So, sorry. Alright, I guess it is recording. It's just... Not being as obvious about it as it normally is. Alright, I'm gonna trust that we're good. Am I still here? Yep, I'm yes. still there. <laughs> okay. Alright, well, it says I'm recording in like four places, so hopefully one of those places will work. Alright, well, let's get started then. So, Will doesn't want to be here for three hours, he said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and I've got Steve and Will here to talk about more episodes of Lovecraft Country. That's right. I don't know the numbers of the episodes at this point, but I know the first one we'll talk about is Meet Me in Dagao. There's six and seven, I believe. Is that how it's pronounced, Dagao? Could be Dagu. I just go with it. Okay, well, I could have looked it up, decided to remain ignorant. And did not do that. You sound like, um, never mind. <laughs> American who doesn't know yeah. anything. This is the, well, I would say it's the Atticus flashback episode, but it's really not his episode. Yeah, it's more um, her episode than his. Yeah, Gia, played by Jamie Chung. Is it Jamie, well, now that sounds Chinese. <laughs> Well, Jamie Chung, um, she's been in a bunch of uh, Disney properties. She was in, she was the voice of Go-Go in Big Hero 6 and uh, Mulan in Once Upon a Time, the TV show. Okay, so her parents are Korean. Yeah. It is a surname whose bears are generally people of Chinese or Korean descent. It's also a Vietnamese surname, but it's rare in Viet- Vietnam, so... She's also in the real world, San Diego. Uh, but I, she was in The Gifted, which I'd watched the first season of that before I gave up on it. But I guess she was okay on that show. I never watched the real world, San Diego. I didn't either. <laughs> I watched the San Francisco one, I think, and some of the New Orleans one, because I actually saw some of the filming of the New Orleans that they were out there once in Mardi Gras and I was out there once. Anyway. I wonder if she's the most successful entertainer to come out of the real world. Because before it was Jacinda Barrett from the real world London. And I know her because she was Peter Watts' daughter on Millennium for an episode. Anyway. I mean, she had, she was on Millennium, so she's, she's had the best career, regardless of what anybody else does. <laughs> she wins by default. Um, yeah, 
I would confess I was a little nervous to watch this episode because I knew it was going to be a flashback episode. I'm not usually very keen on those. And I knew it would part away from the characters we've come to know. And it wasn't nothing based on the book. So I was like, this is going to be a little weird. And I'm not, I shouldn't say I was nervous to watch it. I just wasn't very excited to watch it. But skipping to the end, I ended up loving it. How did you feel, Will? I, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to think, how do I normally feel about flashback episodes? I think Damon Lindelof proved that they could be done well in the leftovers and Watchmen. Um, so I'm not so nervous about them, but yeah, I was, I was nervous because, you know, this is nowhere. None of this is anywhere in the book. So I was just, okay, they're very from the book. They're very from the storyline. Where are they going to, is this going to be interesting or not? But yeah, I was totally into it. I loved it as well. And Steve? I'll start with a, a caveat. Mm-hmm. This episode uh, stands out as the least Lovecraft country of all the episodes. And uh, if I was going to put a, a TV metaphor to it, it's like watching a, a marathon of the Jeffersons on CBS in the 70s and inserted in the middle of that marathon is an episode of MASH. Uh, but you know, with that caveat acknowledged, uh, this is my favorite episode of the entire series. So <laughs> far. So far. I, guess. So I mean, far. you'll tell I, us why, but I mean, this is a particular type of horror. Right. Oh, yeah. This kind of Asian. Yeah, this, this Asian, East Asian folklore. Um, mm-hmm. And it's totally separate from anything that, you know, H.P. Lovecraft would do. You know, he had his own uh, mythos. Uh, horror mythos that he created and didn't even come close to, you know, all the, the mythical Fox entity of, um, you know, China, Japan, and Korea. Well, it, I think Lovecraft at this point, you can tell is just sort of shorthand for a type of story of a pulp novel of a supernatural, magical realism, heightened reality, whether it's horror or adventure or science fiction. So what did you like about this one? Uh, so I did like that it explored um, uh, another culture, uh, you know, a, a non-Western culture uh, and that the, it was a point of view from, you know, a person from Korea, right? It wasn't one of, one of our main cast members. Um, and I, I thought that was ballsy. Um, you know, we didn't see tick, for the first, you know, 28 and a half minutes, you know, another character that we actually recognize. These were all new characters to us. And, um, I just, I, it was, it was gutsy to go this route and I, I applaud them for it. I, I think it, um, you know, they found uh, a wonderful actor with Jamie Chung. She, she showed both uh, an innocence and once you realized that she was like the main horror element, she, she had that dark glint in her eye. Um, and um, I even liked uh, her mother, right, uh, Alexis Ray, who uh, you look at her IMDb page, she, she's always playing someone's mother. So she, she's well-versed in um, just being um, both nurturing and stern. And I, I thought she, she had a, a wide range of emotions as well. Just those two actors, you know, carried the show, and Tick was just along for the ride and not even for most of it. 
Mm-hmm. So. I was a little afraid that the mother figure would be killed by the end. Because she was getting a little mouthy. You know, talking about how her daughter is not really her daughter, but a monster, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I thought that um, Gia was going to destroy her in some fashion. But I actually like that by the end of it, this older woman came around and had adopted her really as her daughter, which was sweet. Not what I expected. I'm very glad for it. But I did think both actresses were fantastic. Uh, so early on, uh, they're... Oh, I, I recognized Ando from Heroes, the the actor uh, oh, James yeah. Kyson or Keeson, and I was like, "Is that Ando?" <laughs> I was got I got all excited. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but I was like, "Yata!" <laughs> uh, yeah, he was short lived in this episode. <laughs> oh no! I see the one that got exploded. Yes. <laughs> oh, too bad. Super fit guy. Jesus. I know. He like I guess it was probably a few years ago now he just like randomly followed me on twitter and i followed him back i don't know what i think maybe he was promoting something he was doing i don't know but i thought it was just weird that he followed me on twitter <laughs> and i don't think usually he like tweets about stuff that he's going to do but if he tweeted about lovecraft country i'd missed it we did see after he got exploded that the mother was scrubbing the floors was scrubbing the blood off the floors right i, I was I was missing that in uh, one of the previous episodes. We I, actually see it here. <laughs> yeah, I thought about you when I when that was happening, but I was also I was. How are they going to clean the walls? Aren't the yeah. walls like rice paper or something? How did how she can't just take a sponge to the wall? She has to replace those walls. And she's replaced it ninety times before this mm-hmm. happened, or eighty nine times before this. Yeah, we'll do another you know ten times before the episode's over. I mean, she hopes. She wants to hit that 100. Instead, they get to 99, which I started to think about how that was such a downer for all the guys that died for no real payoff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're not going to go for the full 100, don't even start murdering people, is what I would say. (laughs) Well, Mother wanted to, but, you know. 100 or nothing. She was in it. All or nothing. We're all in. Yeah, she real monkey's paw situation for her when she wished for her for revenge against her husband. It's like, oh, what if we, what if we the person who can kill your husband looks like your daughter and you get to live with the facsimile of your daughter for a long time? Won't that be fun for you and your trauma? Yeah, not even looks like your daughter, but has replaced your daughter entirely. Like you, you lost out both. You know, both your husband and a daughter in that situation. There were some great quotes from Young Ja, who was um, um, Jia's uh, friend, the the communist. Um, she said, "You cannot let um, your mother's fear control you, or your parents' fear control you, and um, that there's nothing wrong with being different. What's wrong is all of them vilifying us for it. We're all the same. We're all human." That's some great, great quotes with that. That kind of transcended what uh you know what she was talking about being you know communist and uh and what gia is going through with being you know a literal monster yes she referred to her as her best friend several times and i never got the impression they were that close i would say maybe only friend 
But I never really got the impression, oh, she's my best friend. Well, technically, if you have only one friend, <laughs> that is your best yeah, friend. Yeah, by default. Like, <laughs> that's my best friend. But I, I didn't quite get that they were so close. Let's go back to that bedroom for a second, because this is the second episode where a bed is in the middle of the room. Because Ruby woke up in a bed, a round bed in the middle of a room. I've never seen a bed in the middle of a room. All beds I've seen have been up against the wall, headboard against the wall. Has anyone seen a, a, a bed in the middle of the room? This is where my mind goes. I find it very strange. It seems like a waste of space. Well, for this set, it, it seemed very uh, like ceremonial. Like you had this whole room that was kind of like on its own wing of the house. And it just had one piece of furniture in it and it was a bed. And you kind of, oh, oh, and like a thousand candles that all lit at the same time. It's always a thousand candles. It's never just one candle on TV. It's always a thousand candles, right? But yeah, it, it definitely felt like, um, almost like a, a sacrificial altar. You know, she was leading these men to deathbed, the deathbed. <laughs> There's no, there's probably no fire suppression system there. So one of those candles gets knocked over, it's gone. Lovecraft Country Radio had uh, Jamie Chung on as a guest speaker, and she was saying that uh, she showed up for set one day, and uh, wardrobe just had a little piece of you know merkin and like a gallon of blood. And that, that was all that she was going to wear for the next four days while they, they shot this scene. Nice. <laughs> She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was spoiled on this scene by some uh, YouTube screenshots. Oh, no. So, although so you- it was discussed, I didn't expect um, her tails to come out of her eyes, and I think that was the most disgusting moment. Oh yeah, tails from every orifice. That was nine years. Tails. Oh yeah, nine tails. That was kind of gross. It was very gross. Yeah, the the fox spirit or nine tail fox is a mythical fox entity from East Asian folklore. Uh, let's see, uh, fox spirits usually shapeshift, often taking a form of a beautiful young woman who attempts to seduce men, whether for mere mischief or to consume their bodies or spirits. A kumuho. Uh, could become permanently human or lose its evil character. Explanations of this uh, vary. Um, sometimes include aspects of refraining from killing or refraining from tasting meat for a thousand days. I saw that the two most popular um, interpretations were refrain from killing or kill a lot, which is what <laughs> this one was. And to me, those are two extremes. And you have to pick one. <laughs> because those are too different. You can't do that. Apparently there's a Pokemon that looks kind of like this, because I kept seeing a lot of people making Pokemon references on Twitter about this episode. Well, Tails from Sonic has two tails, right? Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seven more. So remember that scene um, where Jiha used her tail as a helicopter? And went into the sky. <laughs> well, there was uh, there was a Netflix show called I'm going to remember it wrong. Um, uh, Death, Love, and Robots. 
it was an anthology. Um, but one of the episodes featured a, a nine tail fox spirit. That was that was a good episode. There was a little scene of uh, speed dating. They, they called it a me teen. Mm-hmm. And so I looked that up. I wanted to see uh, about speed dating. South Korean blind dating customs are preferred rather than other dating techniques. Meeting blind dates are uh, group dates with no prior expectations or commitment uh, and are often used by university students. Yeah. The earliest documented example of speed dating was in Los Angeles in early 1996. <laughs> Unless speed dating is like a trademarked system. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I did wonder how accurate it was for the time. I got the impression that was accurate, but uh, just cursory research on the internet. Um, so that at one point, Gia uh, reads off the Count of Monte Cristo from memory, right? She she kind of predicts what's what the ending is, and I was wondering, is that something that she's read personally, or one of her victims read? And she just remembers their memories of reading the Count of Monte Cristo. That is a great question. It would also explain, if it was the the latter, that it would explain how she was able to recall it so clearly. Because I know there's books I've read multiple times, but I cannot quote them to you. So she did speak really good English, and I was I was thinking she's probably killed some Americans, you know, American soldiers mm-hmm. and, you know, absorbed their memories of how to speak English very well. I'm just spitballing, but you, you could use that to your advantage, you know, kind of tap into the, the matrix and download whatever, you know, program. I want to know how to be an American GI done. Yeah. She's kind of a lazy Spock spirit. She could be so much more. She could. It's like Suki from True Blood. Like, you, girl, you can read minds. Why are you working at a diner in Bonton? Like, you have abilities. Use them. Be a superhero. Speaking of Count of Monte Cristo, um, Tick mentions that uh, the writer, Alexander Dumas, um, was... A minority, um, you know, a colored person. And I, I, I had to look that up. I wasn't quite sure. So he was uh, born in the French colony of what is present-day Haiti um, to a, a French nobleman and an enslaved woman of African descent. So, Yeah, I, I did I not, not realize that either. I'm learning all sorts of things from this show, guys. So one thing, I, I think it was interesting to focus on the character of Gia, who is a, a victim of sexual violence and then becomes an instrument of sexual violence. And um, she starts to question her own existence and the motives of, you know, the people around her, the people who love her, like her mother saying, go, go collect some men, bring some men home, which at first, uh, the, the first time she mentioned it, I just thought, oh, here's a overbearing mother wanting, you know, her daughter to, to marry so that she can then have status in the, in the world. 
but no, she she had uh, darker motives, and I love that twist. I, I you know, it it worked on on multiple levels. Yeah, I think that was wonderful, Mister Act. For a flashback episode, I really thought we would see Tick um, in battle, in the trenches, you know, kind of like that, uh, what we saw in that prologue in the first episode of, you know, some kind of wartime scene, but we really didn't get that. Every time we saw him, he was on, on base inside of a city. We never really got any action scenes. Um, he murdered a woman. He did murder someone. So her best friend. What do we? Yeah, her her best friend. So what do we think about um, Tick doing this? I guess we have to excuse it because it's may not have had a choice. It was expected. <clears throat> Following orders. Yeah. So what he was talking about when he told Letty something happened, in, or was he more referring to the sex scene that happened <sighs> later on? Creed How was just a, a strange place. Yeah. He was, um, he did monstrous things, right? Both he and Gia <laughs> did monstrous things. And, um, they, they were made for each other almost, you know, two monsters in the world that found love. Um, but then he, he jetted out of there real quick. He did not stick around. Oh, uh, and when he was attacked? Yes. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> gathered his clothing and walked out, ran out. But he left the continent. It was that bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still kept her phone number though, somehow. Oh yeah. Memorized her phone number. Mm-hmm. She had a phone. That's strange. <laughs> so good for her. I, I'm going to guess we're going to be seeing her stateside. That's what I was about to ask. <laughs> we'll be seeing her again. I I guess I hope we see her again, but this was a pretty great episode on its own. And, you know, someone asked me, like, what are the, the two best episodes? And I was like, the first episode and this one. And you can almost get away with just watching the first episode and this one um, because it is a flashback. Um, or you can just watch this one, and I think that would just be fine as well. I don't know if we need more story. I guess the to kind of wrap it up or put a, put a bow in Gia or give her something else to do other than just be a voice on the the other end of the line. Maybe she comes back. I mean, I got the impression that when she went to the shaman and was told about all the, she'd had a vision of for him dying and what will happen to Atticus. It's sort of, that's put her on the path to wanting to be a force in his life. She wouldn't have done all that if she didn't want to reconnect with him. Yeah, the, uh, the the shaman is a mundane, um, mostly but not exclusively for female shamans. Uh, Korean shamanism goes back to prehistoric times, predating the introduction of Buddhism and Confucianism and the influence of Taoism in Korea. Uh, during the Japanese rule over Korea, the Japanese tried to incorporate Korean shamanism uh, within or replace it with state Shinto. And for a short period in the 1940s, after the defeat of the Japanese, uh, Korean shamanism was identified as pure Korean national essence. So it made oh, a wow. resurgence in the 40s. And this took place in uh, 1950, 1949, 1950. 
but yeah. It, uh, it works. I wonder what the uh, like. Is there an organization of Korean shamans? Did you become certified? You just go to a hut in the woods, and then you can call yourself a shaman. What do you guys think of the? Um, it looks like a CGI fox right at the end there. Yeah, I was wondering. It's um, adorable. No, I I hated that CGI fox. I mean, you could have done without it. Yeah. Did not need a CGI fox in there. You didn't. No. <laughs> Just staring at you. What was the purpose? Yeah, there was no purpose, but I still liked it. <laughs> I like foxes. It was almost a perfect episode, except for that damn fox. <laughs> the fox was just there to remind her, like, hey, hey, you're a fox spirit. What are you doing? Go kill someone. Uh, we did get a clip of Meet Me in St. Louis from a Judy Garland movie and from 1944. Uh, and then we heard an audio clip of Judy Garland speaking. Um, it's part of her recorded as part of notes for a never written autobiography, but that's when she was late in life and she was regretting like all the choices of her life and how people saw her. You remember that audio clip? It was I right do. At the I tail liked end. it a lot. Did you? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it bookended the uh, episode with Judy Garland at the beginning and at the end, very two different versions of Judy Garland. I just felt so sad for Gia for this this whole episode. But possibly the most at the beginning when she's in that theater. And even when she's alone, she can't act on the impulses that she has to sing and dance and be free. So all she can do is sit by herself and cry. That's so sad, that poor girl. Yeah, even the speed dating scene was kind of sad. Cause, oh, yeah, yeah. that was, was terribly sad. <laughs> Everyone was marking her off with an X. Confusing. Yeah. Like, you, to look at her, like, you're going to take that girl home. I don't know why they all were. No. I mean, the one guy had a reason, which was like, oh, American imperialism. No, thank you. Hard pass on you. But everybody else just seemed kind of good with her. I don't know. Yeah. She gave off Fox Spirit vibes, I guess. Best scene is when she goes to the base and says, you know, uh, I was going to kill you, FYI, but, you know, you've done monstrous things. I'm, I've done monstrous things. That does not make us monsters. We can be the people we see in each other. I was like, oh, yeah. That's good writing. That was good writing. So since this this episode does not appear as a chapter in the book, what do you guys feel that it was within um, the same vein as the other writing of Lovecraft Country? I do, yeah, yeah. I, and while we were talking, I was looking up pulp magazines, and there's a list of genres that the pulp magazine or pulp book. Could encompass and it includes, but is not limited to adventure, aviation, detective, mystery, fantasy, gangster, horror, occult, including weird menace. I don't know what that is. Humor, railroad, romance, science fiction, French crime mystery, spicy saucy, aka soft porn, sports, war, and western. 
and some of the most famous characters that have appeared in um, in pulp magazines include Conan the Barbarian, John Carter of Mars, Call, Tarzan, Zorro, Buck Rogers, and my favorite, Biggles. Biggles. You know, Biggles. So, yeah, like, why not a Korean War with a bit of horror and folklore mixed in? If every episode so far has had a different um, genre, subgenre, style, tone, I this did not feel strange to me at all. You, it felt special, absolutely, but not yeah, strange. You're absolutely yeah. right that each episode has its kind of its own genre to it, and that uh, it takes some getting used to because you never know what you're going to get. You could turn on the TV and it's like, all right, it's, what are we getting today? But again, that's very 90s TV. Going back to the X-Files, you just didn't know whatever. I mean, you watched the previews, but you didn't really know like what kind of episode you were going to get. Like, you could have vampires, but then it could turn out to be a comedy. You know, it could have something really gross, but also be a comedy or whatever. No, you just never knew. Haunted yeah. Elevator? Sure, why not? We used to eat people whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Conquistador tree monsters, uh, man-eating fungus. Why not? <laughs> so, anything else about this one? No, no. Would watch again. Really good. It was really like good. It. Yeah, I would recommend this one to people. Like if they if they wanted to see what Lovecraft, well, maybe the first episode in this one, or, or my in my top two. I guess the one, the the one element it was touched on a little bit with. Atticus saying, like, I'm not welcome at home. And his Korean friend saying, I'm not welcome at home or here. I don't belong in any in either place. Which kind of parallels her situation. Because she's stuck between worlds, too. But if Lovecraft Country as a concept is about racism, this episode was not as involved in that as, as the others have been. You're right. So I guess that's the only thing is that would make it feel slightly to the side of the rest of the episodes. Should we talk about the next one? Yeah. yeah. I am. I am. This is the one I was waiting for. Mm-hmm. And did it live up to expectations, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> It is 95% nothing like the book. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it is 5% like the book. Basically how it starts and how it stops. Um, beginning and end. It is thematically similar. It hits on the really important um, point of, of Hippolyta being a an explorer, a discoverer, and kind of finding herself, but the actual plot elements are worlds apart. Yeah, it's really nothing like what happens in the book. So. But on its own, does it, <laughs> did you enjoy it at least? On its own, it, I, it could have been the wine, but it made me weepy. I was very moved by it. Yeah, yeah. 
Especially that one scene. Um, I don't know, skipping ahead, but yeah, yeah, with George. Got to see Uncle George again. Yeah. Got to see Uncle George. That, Uncle that might George. have been the highlight. <laughs> Wasn't the highlight for me. Well, I mean, yes. Kind of, it was after that the bedroom scene when they were spending extra time together in that reality and being partners on the road the way that they never got to do in real life. Like, that was very sweet because she got to live that life fulfilled that she wanted and um, yeah I was wondering if this was going to be a way to bring back Uncle George back into the series like she could pull him from another reality back in to our reality but I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> yeah I thought about that for a second like or is this how we're getting George back uh, and get like a like a Harry Kim kind of alternate universe <laughs> version. Um, but didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, before we go on, do you want me to tell you what, what what's in the book? Cause it's so wildly different. Yeah. Let's go for it. Okay. Well, it's similar in, into that. Uh, Hippolata is, um, has a fascination with astronomy. And there's a lot in the chapter about how she likes to visit observatories, that she will just show up in an observatory. And sometimes she gets in, and sometimes they, they send her away right away. Um, but she gets the coordinates to this place in Wisconsin, I think, um, from the orrery that she finds in Hiram Walker's uh, Winthrop's house. And uh, so just like in the show, she goes to this observatory, and the neat thing about it in the book is that there is no telescope, it, there's, it's all enclosed. It's just a big dome, and there's, it doesn't rotate. And she can't figure out how it's an observatory. But when she goes in and she starts playing around with the panels, the like galaxies far away are um, depicted on the dome on the inside of the dome, and it's like she's standing on the surface of the sun on a sun light years away, billions of light years away, or she's on a gaseous planet or something. And it's all around her and the dome around her, which is pretty cool. Um, and they didn't really do that in the, in the show. They, they had like the little picture window show up of various places, but in the book, it just felt a little more like magical. Like this is how a, a telescope in this reality would work that this particular one, like it actually transports you there. And it actually does. She steps through a doorway onto a beach, onto a planet, trillions of light years away. And in the show, she's like multiverse hopping. But in the show, she is, in the book rather, she is physically moved light years away onto some distant planet. And she ends up on a beach and she sees a cliff at the end of the beach with a staircase and she goes up the staircase and there's another observatory at the top, top of the staircase and a little hut. And she goes in the hut and she meets a woman named Ida. And Ida was a servant of Hiram Winthrop, which is how it ties back to the Letty episode. So Winthrop, his son ran away with a colored girl and he asked his staff to tell him where his son went and they all refused to do it to tell him. So he punishes them by 
throwing all of his servants through this um, observatory onto this planet trillions of light years away and says, basically, you stay here and you think about what you've done because there's no way you're getting back unless I come in, like, I'll, I'll come back in four days and let you come back. Well, he dies or something. So they get stuck there and three of them get eaten by a, um, a monster that's on the beach. When Hippolyta goes through, she sees this boulder on the beach and it turns out that's actually, um, well, it's described in the book as like a big black sphere that turns itself inside out like an orange, but instead of being pulp in the center, it's a mass of tentacles. So when the two policemen come through the portal, they get eaten by this big thing. It's, they get swallowed up by this sphere. And long story short, she ends up going um, back through the portal. And she goes back home. But as you can see, this is nothing like what happens in the show. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> when, I, when I envisioned the episode, did you guys watch Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. You know that episode where Simmons is on the planet by herself? Oh, uh, yeah. She's stuck with you know that guy. Yeah, she's stuck all these light years from home on this deserted planet, and it's sort of like a survival episode. And that's kind of what I pictured this one to be, almost like a two-person stage play. Very stark. You know, yes, there's a monster, but you don't, the monster's kind of like inconsequential. It's really just more about these two women and how the, the woman who's been there has gone like space crazy. She's gone isolation crazy because everybody else that she came with has died. And she actually tries to kill Hippolyta at the end of the chapter. Um, and I just th- thought that like, that would be such a cool episode of just two actors in one set. And then there's the whole, like the fact that she goes across the universe and comes back. And I feel like in a lot of ways, like this multiverse stuff of just her imagining like, or being in different realities is kind of a little more conventional than what the book was, even though there's a little more to it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised they they had a chance for a tentacle monster and they decided not to go that route. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of the monsters like that ball from the prisoner. Like if you, you know, if it touches you, it'll kill you. Oh, or, Rover. <laughs> yeah. Rover. Rover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we didn't get that. We didn't get what I, I mean, I guess that's what I wanted, an adaptation of that, but I know that having this doesn't take that other thing away. That That's always going to be there, so that's fine. Um, so I listened to Lovecraft Radio for the first time because the writer of the episode is one of the co-hosts, and I wanted to hear her talk about adapting the, the chapter. And I wanted her to just explain how she got from A to B when it's so wildly different. Not because I wanted her to justify why she did what she did or, or that I thought one was better than the other. Cause I don't, I liked the episode. I just wanted to know the thought behind it as just out of curiosity. What was your writing process? How did you start with this one thing and end up way over here no judgment, but just how did that happen? She didn't talk about it. Nope. So uh, didn't well, talk was, about it at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably your your most frustrated part. <laughs> That's the most frustrating part is not knowing. Yeah, not knowing why. 
So let's uh, let's go back um, back to the beginning of the episode, and we'll, we'll work our way through it, um, knowing now what's in the book and what's not on screen, right? But um, it starts off with a montage of Hippolyta trying to figure out the orrery, right? How to how to activate it, and um, yeah. I hope you guys like montages because uh, mm-hmm. this this episode's full of them. <laughs> I love a good montage. I don't mind yeah. a montage. What I don't like is the three days earlier. Stuff. What's it? Yeah. Do you think montages are uh, lazy story writing? Sounds like you guys don't. You you like a good montage if it's done well. I yeah. I don't care. Sometimes you've got to move move stuff along and show it in a really rapid order stuff. Well, I was thinking, like, uh, specifically the uh, Count of Monte Cristo movie, right, where there is a montage sequence uh, extended where, you know, he's in prison all that time. And um, as for a man, you kind of see the, the length of time that goes by, you know, the growed be- uh, growed beer growth, uh, you know, gets more and more extreme as time goes on. But when you have a woman on screen, you don't get that. Well, you don't get that visual cue of a beard. So how else do you showcase a passage of time? And for this episode, they had like star dates or some kind of um, uh, sequence down at the bottom that would chime every so often. Uh, And I don't think that worked very well. In fact, I found it really annoying. I thought it was annoying too. Yeah. I guess it was like a, supposed to be a location. Well, it happens. Yeah. It happens when she's in that, um, you know, the white room prison cell that she's kind of trapped in for a little bit, and there's some sequences that go through for that, and she doesn't go any other location. She's just right there. After after Hippolyta figures out the Ori, so good on her for doing that. I don't know how she figured out. Mm. She she kind of looked at it sideways and said, "Oh yeah, something's not quite in alignment." But then we get um, uh, we get Ruby and um, Christina real quick. They go down in the basement. And, guys, I called it. I said that the real William counterpart is locked up in the basement. Did you? Okay, I don't remember that you said that. But. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that from the books. Well, William wasn't it, uh, there, but the uh, other lady was there. But I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin the surprise. So the, the the Hillary counterpart Dell, she, she's also dead. They're both dead. William and Dell are dead in the basement. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess you you'll never run into your counterpart if they're you know dead. That that was one of my concerns. <laughs> Um, now, Matt, you had said you hoped that uh, Montrose and Sammy would be a perfect couple going forward in the very next scene. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> the very next scene, Montrose has given Sammy all sorts of grief. Yeah, I hated this. Um, oh, the grits are runny. Oh, the bacon's not... is pork bacon. I wanted beef bacon. Who the hell wants beef bacon? What the hell are you talking about, Montrose? But anyway, 
push Sammy away. Sammy, to his credit, it's like, I don't care about it. Like, I'm not going to let you do this. Like, fine. Throw you a little fit. I guess what threw Matros into a, a tiz is that uh, Sammy saw a neighbor or something at the grocery store or whatever, the corner market, and was like, don't worry, nobody knew, nobody followed me back here. If that's what you're so worried about. Yeah. Like, this, this is not, thank God Matros didn't hit him. That's what I was afraid of in the previous episode was physical violence. This family has its share of secrets, like way too many secrets. Montrose is keeping his, his whole life a secret. And then, um, Tick's mother knew about it. So she's been, she was keeping it a secret from Tick. Do you believe well. that's true? Yeah, I do think that's true. I wondered. Tick like George probably knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. He might have been the only one who knew about it. But yeah. Everyone's keeping secrets. It's one of my pet peeves about TV. Well, I mean, it's not so much as this show, but when, you know, things would be a whole lot easier if people would just talk to each other and not keep secrets. It's really, the loss was really bad about that. Well, I felt that way for the Perry Mason reboot because the first, you know, three or four episodes, they're just chasing leads that don't go anywhere because people aren't telling the truth. Like the, the two parents of the child both were keeping, you know, secrets from each other. And it's like, oh, you just come out and tell the truth. Just wrap this up real quick. But I guess yeah. that's part of the mystery. You got to keep that mystery going. I don't mind when characters keep secrets from each other. But what I hate is when characters who want information don't ask the questions that they need to get the information. I've been watching Dark on Netflix, and it's like, doesn't anybody want to know who this guy is? Ask him. Who are? What is your name? Who are you? Just they never do. <laughs> well, I did like in this episode. So you had Tick and Letty headed to Montrose right away because they they want to know more about um, uh, the supposed book book of names that survived the fire. Uh, so it it looked like you know we were getting a unified front, uh, unified family. Uh, unit to figure this mystery out and of course it all dissolves right there in the hallway uh you know tick ended up getting angry at montrose for lying to him all this time and didn't really go anywhere and at the end of it tick went off to st louis all by himself so we're kind of back at square one with with how we we do things around here well atticus in this is really gross uh uses a slur yeah um uh, it's totally believable, and I like that it humanizes him. He's not a perfect person. I mean, we saw it in the past, but I mean that was the war. But I mean, he's he's been kind of his father's son, uh, and how he attacked his father, you know, physically violent, and now he uses a slur, and it's like, oh, Atticus, it makes you makes me not like you ever so slightly less. <laughs> But it's good writing because uh, it would make no sense for him to be a little warmer towards his dad. That would feel wrong, too. So, Will, did you catch the reference to Emmett Till again? When the, no. When the kids asked, where's Bobo? And Bobo oh. was uh, Emmett's Till real-life na- nickname. Oh, I didn't get that. I don't know so- how I feel about that. <laughs> He must have gone south and 
never returned. Yeah. Yikes. So this episode reminded us of that, right? They also reminded us of uh, Tulsa. Tulsa's mentioned a couple times in this episode. So they're they're pulling yes. threads that they they started a couple episodes again uh, ago, just yeah, to the, remind you guys where we're at in the story. The woman that Atticus is visiting mentions Tulsa. Yep. Uh, Atticus is a braver man than I am for listening to an old woman prattle on about her church friends and look at photo albums. Like <laughs> I I don't know how you can stand to do that. <laughs> My mother's always trying to get me to look at her photo albums. I'm like, oh, no. I, I have a question. What was the point of Atticus going down to St. Louis? Like, he, he he was there to get the book of names, but it wasn't there. All he ended up with was um, figuring out he has a birthmark on the on his back. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the whole point of that trip? I thought he was going to... Trace his mother's family or something like that or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> They're trying to find out how Montrose found out about his mom's family. I thought that was somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was a dead end, I guess. It, it was a dead end. And unless that tattoo or not even, not even tattoo, it's a birthmark on his back. Unless that birthmark has some more significance i i don't know what the point of that episode or that scene was what's the significance of these dreams they're having we've seen them before but now letty appears to be pregnant i guess i hope she's not i do i hope not so i mean as well they always sideline female characters by making them pregnant i don't want i don't want pregnancy to be letty's storyline that's exactly it does letty become pregnant in the book no, she's not even involved with Tick that way in the book. Interesting. Yeah, that. so that was my other uh, lazy writing criticism, is, you know, the, the literary trope to make the female characters pregnant. Um, just because it's it's an easy one, easy way to first create conflict initially, and then to have the character grow through this life-changing event. But uh, I, I find it terribly lazy. And what if she gives birth to a slugworm? <laughs> <laughs> well, I figure that's why she's having dreams. Because whatever dream that Atticus was having, he's now transferred that into her through his magic sperm. Um, and that's or, why she's now having dreams. Or she's not really pregnant, but she's having like physical... Um, like remnants of their connection. Mm. That's what she feels pregnant, but she's not really pregnant. It's a mystical pregnancy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Does that make it any better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, I think you could have cut out the, the scene where Tick goes to St. Louis. And I was actually looking up some of the distances here. Um, so we start off, uh, Hippolytus starts off in Artem, right? Because he's she's looking at the uh, burned down mansion, mm-hmm. um, and she she figures that uh, Uncle George was there. She saw like uh, the comic book, yeah, one of the comic books. 
So she knows that he was there, but what? I, again, I don't know what the point of that scene was other than just figuring out that he was in this mansion at one point. Um, but uh, so Artem to Chicago is 995 miles. It would take 15 and a half hours to drive. Seems like a long way just to pick up a couple pages from some rubble. All right. And then Tick goes from Chicago to St. Louis by bus. That's 297 miles. That's that's only a five-hour bus ride. Well, and the bus is probably like 12 hours now. <laughs> what, the muse- what museum did they go to? Uh, that was Boston. So didn't Hippolyta go from Boston to Artem? Yeah, but we start this episode in Artem, so she went from Artem back to Chicago. So she did travel 15 and a half hours well, yes. in this sure. one episode. Right. Uh, so Tick traveled five hours, uh, and then uh, Hippolyta traveled from Chicago to, I had the um, Mayfield, Kansas, as being the location of the observatory. So that's 745 miles. That's 12-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, Letty calls Tick to say that Hippolyta is in trouble and that he should go from St. Louis, Missouri to Mayfield, Kansas, which is a seven and a half hour by car. And he had a, he had to take a bus, but he, he magically managed to get there right in as uh, two cops were accosting um, Hippolyta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was the dumb. That was so dumb. It was so dumb. <laughs> I, I don't I was like, I couldn't even believe it when it happened because it made no sense. <laughs> how would he even know where she was? Like, how would he find that place? Exactly. Uh, I I don't know. Like, Letty read off the coordinates from the orrery, right? Maybe because he's military, he knows coordinates. He knows how to... I guess he's studious. He can look that up in a library, but that's more time that he's wasting trying to figure out where those coordinates go. Um, and then showing up in the exact precise time. And I don't know. It was, it was a stretch. It was more than a stretch. (laughs) It was a stretch. (laughs) And honestly, I know he comes back with that book, but they could have figured out a different way for him to get that. Maybe she brought that back. Though the part about the comic book being left at a crime scene did happen in the book. Yeah. So that part, again, like, that part was book borrowed from the book. Anyway. So the book that Tick ended up with. Oh, and I'll, I'll say he, he came through a portal, right? So did he go on his own interdimensional adventure? Because you, you see him fall out of a portal. Yeah, he must have, right? Yeah. And he has Maybe this book. Was... This book. Oh, go ahead. Lovecraft Country, written by George Freeman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that is that in the book? The book in the book? Mm, the book within the book? No. It's getting very meta. I don't think so. Yeah, it's getting very Dark Tower by Stephen King. <laughs> oh, <Hayden>. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> When he put himself in that book, that was when it went off the rails. That's what people say. I mean, 
that whole the whole concept of that. Anyway, it's not like that. I was gonna say it's all just an asshole, but anyway. <laughs> so he has a book called Lovecraft Country. Uh-huh. I wonder if he's gonna read the end and see how it ends. I don't know. Gets really really meta if you have a book named after the show. I that- don't know. It's per- it's perplexing. <laughs> It's almost like uh, they're in back again, the Hobbit's Tale. Samwise Gam, uh, what's his name? Samwell Tarly, sorry, writing a Game of Thrones. I mean, did he travel uh, into the future and then grab a book? Oh, who the fuck knows? Um, let's <laughs> talk about the bulk of the episode. Like, the best parts of the episode were Hippolyta finding herself. I love any narrative where a character is finding inner strength like that's that's very appealing to me as a concept and she's she feels small and starts small and just grows and grows and finds confidence i love a good finding confidence in yourself kind of narrative this the lady in that one room she said what she said ship saying you're not in a prison no i like her loved her hair apparently <laughs> That was Beyonce. Oh. I only know that because of the podcast. Well, it's Beyond and This Is in French. Beyonce. That's the character name. Oh. It, it, it's very tongue-in-cheek, Beyonce. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do love the, the space afro, the mm-hmm. huge space afro. It yeah. reminded me of uh, Garnet from Steven Universe, the, the cartoon show. So one of the, I'll post the picture. You, yes, please do. <laughs> Just but as, uh, we're gonna see some cosplay of that outfit. I bet you, <laughs> if people can ever go back to conventions. So beyond the white room, which is that little, um, not not a cell, right? She goes to Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about Paris? That was pretty I, neat, I think. <laughs> It was, you know, it was supposed to be there in May. I don't want to, oh, anything yeah. to do with Paris right now. <laughs> it depresses me. So we get to see Josephine Baker, and um, she has an interesting story. She was born in St. Louis, Missouri, probably of mixed race parentage, dropped out of school by 12, married and divorced by 13, remarried at 15, and divorced again by 19. Uh, then she left for France, married a French industrialist, renounced her American citizenship, and became an entertainer, a French resistance agent during the uh, World War II, and a civil rights activist. She was the first black woman to star in a major motion picture, the 1927 silent film Siren of the Tropics. Holy fuck, where's her biopic? HBO did one, I think. Halle Berry played her. Oh! I haven't seen it, though, but (laughs) I didn't know anything about her story. That does sound familiar. I remember remember a biopic with Halle Berry. I just didn't remember it was Josephine Baker. Wow, married and divorced by 13. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck? Divorced twice by 19. 
Yeah. And that, that was before she left for France. So it sounded like she had it rough here in America. Um, and then once she moved to France, everything came up, you know, um, her, her life drastically changed just like, um, Hippolyta's life changed when she, uh, ended up here and she, she got to see the, the world as it should be and not, you know, how it is. Um, I think I got, I'm sorry, I think I got that wrong. Josephine Baker's story aired on HBO March 16, 1991. Lynn Whitfield was Josephine Baker. I think, was she, she was Dorothy Dandridge. That's who, yeah, that's who Halle Berry was. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, Kush Jumbo of The Good Wife slash The Good Fight was in a play called Josephine and I, a one woman show. And I think that's, I think that was the play that she put on that launched her career. Lynn Whitfield was also in Eve's Bayou, which has come up <laughs> before. I did like uh, the costuming. So if this one episode is submitted for, you know, award for costuming, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they do a good job. Uh, at least in the Paris part with uh, the show dancers, that was pretty nice. Yeah. It looked yeah. lush. There I mean, is it's fun, but by this point, I was like, okay, we're not doing the book. <laughs> it's, like it's pretty clear now that we are we are way off page here. Wow. Were you disappointed? Like, already? You were like, oh, no. I mean, a little bit, but by the time it came around to Hippolyta telling Josephine Baker with that amazing dialogue about saying that, I feel like... They just found a smart way to lynch me without me noticing the noose and how small I feel. And I hate white people. I want to kill them, but mostly I hate me. I hate how I let them do it to me. I was like, ah, that's so heavy. And then later on when she's with George, she's like, you know, I blame you too because you let me shrink. Shrink, yeah. And he's like, well, but I, he's like, I didn't mean to, but yes, now I can see that I did because I knew like I got to do what I wanted to do. And I knew that you would be here for me, you know, waiting for me. And it was like, yeah, I took advantage of you. Which yeah, doesn't mean part. that they don't love each other any less. But I was like, all these scenes like were just like so sad and yet empowering. Like I, I was like, really on board at this point. Yeah, that part got me too. I wanted the the writer of the episode, yeah, she was on Twitter talking about how, yeah, we wanted to talk about how, you know, these men marry women for that spark they see, but then they're complicit in, you know, making them shrink for the rest of their lives. Like, wow. Uh, That, that scene with uncle George was uh, the, my most uncomfortable scene because I, I could kind of relate to that. Um, you know, being a married man. So I've, I'm probably guilty of some of that shrinking as well. I mean, that's, that's hard to hear. And I, I was feeling for it. I'm, I'm, I was probably complicit in enabling that shrinking as well. Uh, and then there's the brief um, moment between that and the Paris stuff where she is like a warrior woman. So I kind of wondered if when Hippolyta comes back from this journey, if she does, if she will have picked up some sword fighting skills or something. 
<laughs> I hope so. I hope we get to see them. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty amazing. Um, did Did you guys feel a little Spartacus envy for this uh, scene? <laughs> we We know Misha Green is was one of the writers. That's how she got her inspiration. I, yeah, I was thinking more um, like like Amazonian, like Wonder Woman kind of thing, Hippolyta, Diana, yep. but yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of the Amazon women from Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> so these were supposed to be the Dahomey Amazons, so all-female military regiment of the Kingdom of Dahomey in what is present-day uh, Republic of Benin, uh, which was once part of French West Africa in the region referred to as the slave coast, right? Um, uh, there was two Franco Dahomeyan wars in 1890. If you want to, you know, set a, a time for where she is in the world. Um, during the second world or second war of this, uh, the bulk of the Amazon Corps were wiped out in a matter of hours in hand to hand combat after the French engaged them with a bayonet charge. So we kind of saw that right at the end. Uh, the last survivor of the Dahomey Amazons is thought to have been a woman named uh, Nawai, uh, who claimed to have fought the French in 1892. And uh, the character training Hippolyta in this uh, episode uh, referred to herself as Nawai. Mm. So that could have been her. Um, the royal bodyguards in Black Panther uh, were partially based on the Dahomey Amazons. And as Will mentioned, Hippolyta is the queen of the Amazons in Greek culture. So she she filled that role here. What did you think of her speech? Was it inspiring? I mean, you guys have heard a lot of Spartacus speeches, you know, rallying the troops. Did did she did she meet meet the grades? I don't remember the speech that much. I think I was just caught up in the whole Amazon thing. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. I remember the emotion, but not the particulars. She said something like, what, violence is our love? Or yes. <laughs> she ends on love. That's the last thing she says. And it's like, that's a really strange war cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm gonna have to see if I can find a clip of that. And- I'm I'm sure it was along the lines of you know they as women they keep us down and whatever, but we're just as strong and tough. Like is that the gist of it? It's kind of like yeah. that, right? Yeah, it was fine. I think at this point I was also a little confused. Like, is she time traveling or is she in other realities and living different lives? But this this seemed in the past. But it also didn't seem like it was on planet Earth. So I'm like, what what exactly is happening to her? So I was a little thrown by all of that, too. I'm trying to... And then I guess when the, the Southern Cavalry showed up, I'm like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly what, what this was or where this happened in history, but I didn't know. So in the history, they're supposed to be the French, but you make a good point. They could have been like Confederate soldiers. I thought they were. And they were it, it could have been more of a metaphor, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, she did say to Josephine Baker that she wanted to kill white people. 
I know she was embellishing. <laughs> but she's like, that's like her aggression, right? Like she's, she, she's found like some sexuality and some confidence and now she still has this aggression. And then when she gets her aggression out, now she feels empowered enough to tell George how she felt. So it's like she's – this is like therapy by way of acid or something. Yeah, she, t- she beheaded a dude. That was brutal. Yeah, well. Uh, and then we go to space after, after Chicago. We go to Chicago first but, and then space. Yeah, we land on No Man's Sky with the, um, the cute guys from uh, Toy Story waddled over to her. <laughs> at this point i was i was okay with it all like yeah you can go wherever you want make it as pulpy uh afro futuristic as you want i'm i'm totally totally down with the vibe um and she did rep- she did resemble from the um the comic book that d was drawing yes yeah, like her her outfit and the blue hair. Mm-hmm. So we we already got hints of that earlier on. So I was, I was like, I, I was down for it. I was okay with it. Yeah, she's living the comic book life that her daughter, I guess, wish fulfillment. Like this, or how she saw her mother, or or, or what have you. Because remember when um, Diana said, like, my mother named that star. Like she she has a lot of love and respect for her mother. So I think she drew her mother into that comic book. And now her mother is seeing what her daughter sees. Oh yeah. She originally was doing Panther man, which I wonder if Panther man was supposed to be George going on adventures. And then she started drawing her mother going on adventures. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think that. Um, so just like in the previous episode where there was some audio going over the, the final scene, there was some audio here. Um, it was uh, Sun Ra uh, dropping some truth bombs uh, from a movie, Space is the Place, 1974, black exploitation, Afro-futuristic film. And uh, the whole film you can see on YouTube. I, I looked it up. And um, do you remember the audio that was playing over this scene? Yes. I didn't understand it. Yes. I'm confessing here about black people being a myth. I'm not sure what that meant. So Sun Ra was saying, I'm not real. I'm just like you. You don't exist in this society. If you did, your people wouldn't be seeking equal rights. You're not real. If you were, you'd have some status among nations of the world. So we're both myths. I do not come to you as a reality. I come to you as a myth because that uh, what black people are myth. I came from a dream that a black man dreams long ago. I was trying to remember what song they play, but it was Lady Marmalade. <laughs> yeah. Patty LaBelle, Lady Marmalade, 1975. That was a good one. But when Beyonce came down uh, from the heavens, this goddess figure, <laughs> And Hippolyte is like, um, I don't know, what did she say she's floating? She was definitely floating. She felt like she was floating. I felt like I was floating. I felt like her, all the weight had been taken off of her. And this, this is when I was like, oh, this is great. 
This, I was also sad at this though, because she said, now that I've existed, I've lived this existence. How can I ever go back to that life? And are we to believe that she does not go back? Is this the end for Hippolyta? Does she become space photons and just stardust? Yeah. Stardust. That that's what it looked like. She just kind of dissolved. I mean, I wonder what they'll do. I, I think she'll come back at the end of the season and we'll have brought with her some either knowledge or power. Perhaps she leaves a part of herself physically back there or mentally back there and she exists in both places at once. She left an echo like Guinan in the Nexus. (laughs) (laughs) This was very Nexus-like, as if Joy were a blanket that you could wrap yourself up in it. (laughs) So we had Gia from the last episode wondering if she's going to come back into the story. And now we have Hippolyta wondering if she's going to come back into the story. So we got two female characters that may or may not have some impact Probably in the very last episode, right? They're going to come in and save the day or not save the day or do whatever. I don't know, but I don't like the thought of that little girl not having any parents. That's what I wanted to say. Her dad's dead and her mom's missing. And the police are coming for her. Yeah, I don't like Uh, that. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh. And Tick is still in St. Louis. No, he's not in St. Louis. He's in Kansas at this point. So he's he's not going to be able to help her. Mm-hmm. Not in time, anyway. Uh, maybe Letty. Letty and Ruby. They have oh, to join forces. We'll maybe. find out next episode because it's a Diana episode. Yeah, it was like, oh, Diana episode. <clears throat> so my, my big problem with it, I, I agree with Matt that the, the best part of this episode was the Hippolyta stuff, but that didn't start until 30 minutes in and it wasn't even a full hour episode. So you had to cram in a lot of storytelling in you know 28 minutes. And, and um, I feel like they could have cut out some of the, the fat scenes, you know, um, the Artem scene right at the beginning and, um, Tick's trip to uh, St. Louis, they could have cut out uh, just to give this a little bit more breathing room and make, make this a, make this a Hippolyta episode. I, that's, that's what I thought we were going to get, but she doesn't even really, you know, go into the portal until 30 minutes in. And I'm like, ah, I, I like a more focused episode. I think that's why I liked um, um, Gia's episode uh, more, uh, the meet me in Daegu episode, just cause it was a focus. You didn't, you didn't have all these characters that you had to kind of follow up on. Yeah. I 100% agree. Although I thought the episode was longer than the normal one. You're saying it was shorter. Yeah. I'm saying it was, I think it was 58 minutes. So it's a little shorter mm-hmm. than an hour. Yeah. So they, they really had to cram in, especially when she's going all over the place, Paris, Africa, you know, Chicago, then into space. I mean, they just didn't have a lot of room to, and that's why you had so many montage sequences, right? Because right. you had to really speed through it. And I didn't think the montages worked all that well. So I, 
I feel like it could have done a better job, for sure. I, I I totally agree, and I feel this is my same problem with episodes four and five, the National Treasure Adventure one, and the Ruby one, which is that there was too much extraneous stuff. Well, we really could have done... More, we could have spent more time with our central characters. We don't, we don't have to split the focus. We're splitting too much focus. And, Ooh. yeah, I could have just had it all Hippolyta from start to finish. Especially if we're not going to see her again. But, I mean, despite the structural problems, the emotion of the episode, to me, was made it one of my favorites of the season so far. So, so far it's uh, this one, the first one, and the one we just discussed. Yeah. Apparently the lady that plays Hippolyta, I don't remember her name, but apparently she's been around and in tons of stuff. I just don't remember her. But yeah, she's really good in this episode. Say this one, the Letty and the flashback episodes are probably my favorites. Which one was the Letty episode? The Ghost House? Yeah, the Ghost House. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, but yeah, I put this probably on par with the, the history of violence episode. That's the, um, the um, national treasure one that, uh, Oh, this was better than that. I I don't know if I agree with that, but, um, yeah. All right. So next one, a Diana episode. Yes, sir. I think that'll be a good one. It's called Jigaboba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know the police are after her, so okay. all I the mean, police are bad. Okay, so of those subgenres of pulp novels that I rattled off earlier, which one do you hope it is? I have no idea. Didn't you say like train was one of the genres? Railroad is one. Railroad. <laughs> I want to know what that. Railroad gangster aviation. <laughs> Aviation would be cool, but I don't see Diana doing that. Mm. Uh, I think she's going to need some help. And maybe Hippolyta comes at, back to, you know, get rid of all, you know, snap all the uh, Thanos, snap all the police away at the last minute. But uh, she's going to need some help. Probably most likely Ruby and Letty, since they're there, they're in the same you know, same house that she's in at the moment. Well, I'm worried about her. <laughs> she's a tough girl, but still, she's still a little girl. And then the uh, episode after that's called Rewind in 1921. Uh, another flashback? Remember what happened in 1921? Tulsa. I... Did it? That's well, got to be Tulsa, right? I don't remember. Do so, yeah. Yeah, so, Tulsa Race Riot. So we're going to have a whole episode on that? I wonder. Um, hmm. Just use uh, clips from uh, Watchmen. <laughs> Reuse the same clips. Or other events that happened in 1921. The Young Communist League of Czechoslovakia is founded. That's it. That's I don't think that's going to be. They're throwing you a wrench. I'm throwing the curveball. Oh, well, here we go. The Royal Australian Air Force is formed. Aviation. Hello. There you go. 
I, I'm on board for a Diana focus just because we haven't seen her en- enough um, so far. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice to get her perspective. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to go to Tulsa. Yeah, I remember reading the book. I thought it was cool that they did a whole chapter. Like everybody's getting their own chapter. Wouldn't surprised to see one uh, focused on the child. It was a boy in the book, uh, Horace, but um, I think that'll be fun. All right. So I'm glad you guys liked the episode generally, even though it was different from the book. And I know Matt, you were you were kind of hinging on this one one episode you, you still still get to watch the other episodes after this one you still yes. on board okay. yes um again thematically it worked and i guess the changes that they made kind of all stemmed from the fact that george was killed but i mean they feel like they could have done they could have done the book version just had her stranded and her her finding herself is, is her survival or something. Uh, I just wanted to, I, again, just wanted to know like, what's the deal here. Like, why? Tell us why. And they're not going to tell us. Okay. Well. <laughs> How about you? You're still in? I'm still in. <laughs> Three more episodes. Yeah. They have ruined it. Uh, I probably would still watch anyway, just to see how it ended. <laughs> but they did a good job. All right. We'll find some All right. Bye. Goodbye. That's good. Bye.